I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Matthew from D-Mob Happy. They're just about to drop their new record. Um, well, they've probably dropped their new record by the time this comes out. We recorded this on the, the 22nd of May. And I think their record come out uh, on the... Yeah, we recorded it on the 22nd. It comes out on the 26th. So the chances are, in fact, it's definitely out by now. So go check it out. Um, that's your first thing you've got to do when you finish listening to this episode. But don't go anywhere just yet because this is a lovely, lovely chat. Um chose some fantastic records um yeah you're in for a real treat with this one what a, a, an absolutely delightful uh gent he is as well as you're about to find out um before we get on with uh my chat with matthew a few thank yous obviously you know the deal by now if you've uh listened to this podcast before i want to thank everybody at the distraction pieces network this podcast is very proud to be part of that Big thanks to the team at Blue Murder Club that produce this podcast. Um, go check out Blue Murder Club. It's a wonderful true crime podcast. Big love always to you lot for continuing to support um, Off The Beaten Track podcast. Um, just one quick thing as well, which um, this is the first uh, episode I've recorded since um, Friday the 19th. And um, as long-term, you know, long-term listeners of this podcast will know that the Smiths are uh, are probably my, my, my all-time favourite band. Um, and the world lost um, the genius that was Andy Rourke last Friday. So I want to dedicate this episode to uh, to Andy Rourke and um, and the genius that uh, that he's put into the world of music. Um, so yeah, big big love to uh, to the family of Andy Rourke. Um, anyway. As well as that, if it's your first time listening, if um, if we've got lots of D-Mob Happy fans coming over to listen to, to Matthew's chat, hello, um, you're very, very late to the party. I've nearly put out 500 of these episodes now, so you've missed bundles. But that's fine, because you can go and listen to them all for free when you get to the end of today's chat. Um, you can hear me talking to big rock and rollers like Tommy Lee from uh, Motley Crue and Foo Fighters, and you can hear me talking to all sorts of cool indie bands, all the all the K's who've I had, the Kooks, the Kaisers, the Killers. Um, I've not had Kings of Leon or Kasabian, though. Need to work on that. Uh, some amazing comedians, uh, James Acaster, Ed Gamble, Jade Adams, Maisie Adam, uh, and producers. I've had uh, the, the genius that is Butch Vig, 
Um, we, we speak about the strokes quite a lot today. Um, had a great chat with Gordon Raphael that produced those first two strokes records. Um, super producer DJ Fatboy Slim, a.k.a. Norman Cook, had a great chat with him. Um, you get the you get the idea. So there's there's hundreds and hundreds um, of episodes, all available for free. So when you finish today's chat uh, with Matthew, go over and give him a, a, a listen. And why not subscribe? Then that way you won't miss. Because I put out two episodes every week for free on all of your favourite podcast platforms. Um, if you'd like to watch the conversations um, and get access to uh, radio shows and all sorts of playlists and such, then you can do that. Um, and support the podcast for $1 a month over on Patreon. And uh, this is the bit I know where you just think, oh, God, get it out of the way and let's let's get the conversation going. But um, to keep those two free episodes going every week, um, it really does help if you can support the podcast. Uh, and I'll try and keep it really affordable, seeing as, you know, the, the state that the UK is in at the moment. <clears throat> and uh, And so it works out about 75p, uh, a month and then for that as I said you get to watch all the episodes um, you get access to loads of radio shows a huge archive of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows uh, that have never been released to the public um, and you get to come to the monthly live show the monthly online live show is on, on, honestly if you love having a a chat about music then we do it once a month and uh, there's a lovely crowd of people and everybody gets together on zoom and uh, some people just have the camera off and their mic off and just listening or watching. Um, but it's your chance to get involved. And and we, we, we pick a little topic and we all all just turn up and, and, and talk about, you know, the the records that are relevant to that that question and the memories attached to them. And it's not a it's not a super cool, you know, oh, well, I like the obscure B side of this. It's not about that. It's embarrassing records and and all sorts of just kind of lovely chat about you know what 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 amazing things records can you know bring to your life and uh it's lovely and i want more of you to 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 come to that because it's um it's one of the highlights of my month and i think um if you look in the archives there's a couple of episodes available to listen to so go give them a listen and if you think you'd like to attend one of them or get involved then head over to patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash off the beat and track right you can find out about everything I've just been banging on about at the website as well, which is off the beat and track podcast.com. It's beat and not beaten, by the way. Uh, off the beat and track podcast.com. Right, that's it. That bit's all done and dusted and out of the way, so we can get to the good stuff now. Please enjoy today's episode of Off the Beat and Track Podcast with the delightful D Mob Happy. It's Off the Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Me, stew with him. Okay, we are okay. recording. Matthew, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm I'm all good, thank you. I'm all good. Um, I mean, we've just had a quick chat, and you said there might be a little bit of background noise, and you might hear someone singing. Um, because yes. you're currently in your studio, but above your studio, yeah. there's one of the pretty things uh, having a sing along. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Frank from the Pretty Things actually lives above me in his studio. There's like no sound insulation or something. The walls are really thin. Yeah. So he can often hear me and I can often hear him. I'm so if you do that. pick up any lovely background vocals, it is Frank warbling away in his studio. <laughs> That's so, fantastic. <laughs> um, really nice. 
I didn't expect that this morning. That's uh, that's a lovely little bonus. <laughs> just the pretty things, just uh, creating a little bit of background noise for us. Fantastic. Like a nice background little bird, <laughs> a little <laughs> tweeting away. Oh, wonderful. Um, Matthew, let's kick off your playlist, and I'm going to ask you for track yes. one to tell me, please, the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. <clears throat> I mean, for me, this was an obvious choice the the immediate thing that sprung to my mind was money for nothing by dire straits you know for for like the three or four minutes that it takes and realizing later when i knew who sting was that it was him in there wobbling away as well and just yeah the way it builds the tension the drums it just never ever fails to to rouse me that that so it's always so effective it's amazing and you get the payoff, don't you? Because you just yeah. get that, like you say, Sting just, you know, just warbling away. But uh, then it just builds to that little drop. And then when you get the riff, it just delivers. Yeah. Them. Yeah. And I, I just love on a production level as well. I love the way that you have these expansive drums and then they sort of, you feel like you're in the world of the drums. It's this huge the 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 synthesizers the drums there's lots of reverb there's lots of echo all over it it feels quite distant and distant and then it just tightens up into the guitar and you have this guitar which is so close it almost feels like it's inside your head yeah you know and I love that effect of it just going all yeah. the air it's taken out of it and it's just so effective Absolutely. and it and it's like the thing is the riff on money for nothing it's not like objectively it's not like the greatest riff of all time it's like a kind of little it almost feels like the sort of riff mark Knopfler might have been might have written just sort of trying different finger picking styles because i know he does a lot of that just sort of it's it's not like the showiest riff it's not like a deep purple riff or like a zeppelin riff but it's this cool understated riff and i think the whole thing works in this package where it just like I say, it sucks the air out and you've just got this cool, groovy riff that comes in and it's just, oh, it's perfect. Absolutely. It's like understated in the coolest way, but also it's extremely bombastic, which I love. I love that combination. <laughs> Bombastic's exactly uh, what it is, isn't it? And and I think it was just, what's quite strange is when you listen to all of the big records from that kind of mid-80s period, like, some of the production on some of those records hasn't aged well, whereas I think Brothers in Arms as, yeah. as a record yes. has, has aged fine. It, it doesn't sound. Yeah. I mean, maybe some of the Symphony sounds sound of its time, but they don't. It, it's aged well. It doesn't but sound. It doesn't but, yeah. Yeah. I, I often kind of wonder about that sort of thing. Like, what actually makes. Because you can say the same of songs of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Sometimes songs date well. And sometimes they just get it right. And it's a really, as a producer myself, it's an interesting sort of thing to consider because you want to be on the right side of history in that sense, you know? I think it's 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 more apparent with electronic music because technology uh, like evolves so quickly in that. Mm-hmm. And and I think you can hear a drum machine and, and go, oh, right, that's clearly from 1981 or whatever or, yeah. or from that period of music. But... And I think, obviously, in the 80s, lots of people started messing around with drum machines in bands. And, and I think yeah. some of that has kind of added to what can leave leave it sounding a little bit of its time rather than... Yeah. And I, but it, 
I don't know. I, I say that, and I, I reference two records, three records that I, I think are, are huge records of the last thirty years, and 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 though. And those three being how soon he's now by the Smiths, Fool's Gold by the Rosies, and She Sells Same mm-hmm. by the Colt, that all three of them could come out tomorrow mm-hmm. and would sound like a brand new record completely yeah. like, because they yeah. sound out of time. But I think when I now listen to, you know, after what I've just said, Fool's Gold, are they sampled drums? It sounds like it. I don't know if, if Rennie's uh-huh. playing over the top of it, but. But that doesn't sound of its time. So, yeah, I don't know. I've just had a complete argument with myself there and uh, <laughs> not got any answers whatsoever. <laughs> but I what think, I want... like... Go on, sorry. Well, I just, I think there's a few things to it as well is that the fact that there's, um, there's the reverb on... The, I think the drums define the sound of records more than anything else. And specifically in the drums, it's the snare. And like... You can almost date a record by the snap, the sound of the snare alone. Yeah. And this is like a an interesting thing because through the 70s, it had a sound, 80s, 90s, they always had a sound. And um, yeah, it's a it's something that I'm kind of tuned into, maybe m- more than your average sort of listener, I suppose. But um, I, th- I think like I learned something interesting actually about Dire Straits in that record that the uh it was actually the because i was watching this documentary called under the volcano and it was about giles martin's studio that he used to have somewhere in like it wasn't like barbados but it was like a beautiful kind of desert island i don't know if you've you've heard about it It was air it was it was air montreal or something or montreal and i I forget exactly where it was but it was this beautiful desert kind or like sea sea paradise um and it was actually the first record recorded entirely digitally oh uh, really yeah that record money for nothing and um uh oh, what's it what's the record is from again it's totally brothers in arms. yeah yeah brothers in arms so that record was completely um digital for the first time ever and it's mad that it has dated well because you'd think they would have completely fucked it up and it would have had yeah. this totally crap sound because they were still figuring it out but I can only imagine that with all of that expertise in the way that they use digital for what it's actually good for as, as probably purely like a recording device, people use it as a sort of crutch now, but back in the day they would have thought, all right, well, we literally just replace the tape machine with this digital recorder. And then it just, all of the other ethos went into it of analog recording and it sounds amazing because of that. I think, Yeah, you know, it is digital, but it is, made in an analog way you know i wonder how much consideration was given to the evolution of the compact disc at that point because i think that was a real front runner when when cd started going into sort of mass production i know brothers in arms was very much at the forefront of that and and obviously that went on to be one of the biggest selling albums certainly of the 80s if not the biggest selling album of the 80s maybe just behind jackson maybe but uh brothers in arms was a, a monster selling record wasn't it but uh but yeah he said and i want to ask you yeah you know in regards to and, and also you know as a songwriter and as a producer and you've chose a song that's got a, a monumental intro before you get to the you know the the the, the balls of the record mm-hmm. when you're writing do you ever consider 
the way that people are consuming their music now through things like TikTok and yeah. Spotify playlists where everything is being, you know, every inch of fat is being trimmed off of it to get it down to this sort of saccharine, mm-hmm. sweet, three-minute pop gem that, you know, within 10 seconds of hearing it, it's in your ear. I know that's more commercial pop music, but... Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely filtering through into all, all genres of music that this is how people are consuming their music and do you play the game? How do you play the game? So how much of the, the, you know what I've just said sort of filtered through into your creative process? Well, I think there's always it's always there as a background consideration, but sometimes I listen to it a bit more than I do in others. And also, I normally just find that there's a happy accident where the sort of the tightest three and a half minute pop songs that we have were always they were written that way and they were designed inherently to be not with sorry not that they were written for the three and a half minute sort of medium but like they in themselves are inherently they don't want to be any longer than that you know and they want to be snappy and they want to come in like this is a song of ours our, our kind of most streamed song is one called auto portrait and I think it's about three and a half minutes long, almost to the dot. And I have this funny thing when I'm writing that I'll be putting the song together. I'll be kind of, I do a lot of writing in conjunction with um, my uh, my computer because it's how I've always worked. And I'll go, oh, I wonder how long this is. And it's weird when I know I've got a bit of a single on my hands, nine times out of 10, it's it's three minutes 30 almost on the dot. Yeah. And it's a funny thing that sort of happens. It's 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 happened enough times where I'm like, Oh, that's that's an odd sort of. I kind of just trust myself now, um, and I think there are. I think when we think about making records, we think about a record and we think about the the album because we're all so dedicated and and have have loved albums our whole lives, and we don't love TikTok and we don't love playlists and things like albums. To us, are the it's the best bit of the process and it's the it's the most creatively sound part of being in a band everything for me feels like a kind of uh, an impersonation of the record yeah. you know it's always the top it's always the pinnacle playing live is just trying to achieve the record you know yeah. um and so we consider a lot of that when we put our records together we think about the journey and you know we we often get encouraged by labels and things to be like make it shorter make it snappier if that's going to be at the top of playlists it needs to be snappier and you can't deny these things these days you have to be aware of them but i never like i say i never consciously put it into writing because it would feel inauthentic to me and it would feel like a kind of bastardization of what i want to do and if a song has a four minute intro then it's it has a four minute intro, you know, and yeah. I wouldn't necessarily consider cutting that down to to suit anything because it would just be sad. And also I think like we have to be the solution, not the problem. And yeah. like, there's a reason why all of these TikTok songs just get forgotten four days later yeah. because they, they are just crap. And like they're, you know, cramming a thousand melodies down people's into people's heads is not, you know does not a classic song make yeah you know because it's about space and if you need the antithesis of 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 melody is space you know and if you need 
you need the space, you need the dark in order to have the light. And that's my biggest problem with mo modern pop songwriting is, is just, it's just 99% nonstop top line melody. And there's no room, you know, yet you have a song like Money for Nothing, a kind of enduring iconic song. And what the first three minutes are like just space, you know, like Blue Monday, it's all space, you know, and it's yeah. just like, it's, yeah it's it's a sad sort of place we find ourselves in but absolutely look the trend some way you know there's a there's a you know there's a very big difference between fashion and style and i think yeah. you know those fashionable trends in pop music yeah you uh -huh. get that that instant gratification but within you know a year it's out of fashion and it's gone whereas you know, yeah. style is consistent uh, yeah, it depends what you want out of life. Yeah, <laughs> think, really. absolutely. If you absolutely. want transience, then yeah. go for it. If you want, if you want to create art that endures, don't. Absolutely. Tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please, Matthew. Yeah, again, like this was the like all of these. Normally, I kind of stew on questions like these, and yet when I thought about this one, it just came to me straight away. It's a hard day's night by the Beatles because it was a hard, I think I basically drove my brothers insane because I had a CD of a single version of A Hard Day's Night. Um, I don't know how I had that, but it was obviously my dad's. And um, I can't even remember what the B-side was, but I just used to put it on my CD player as I went to sleep and just put it on repeat. And so it would play that song followed by the B-side and then just repeat, repeat, repeat through. And that's why I think I sent my brothers insane. But it had this unbelievable, I don't know what it was. Um, it just, it just, it struck me in, in, in the, actually, you know, what? I've just realized, right. We need to pause. We need to pause for a second because I've just realized I wrote the wrong song down and that occurred to me. Just as I was writing, just as I was, <laughs> just as I was like, oh shit, I either, I either come, come good here and announce that I've got the wrong song or I, I try and uh, improvise this. The rock, the, the song I meant to write was help. Right. right. And I've just realized I've written hard days night. Okay. So it's help. So I can start that again. Or no, let's leave it in. I love it. Let's leave it there in. There you go. Yeah. Walks there you go. It's come help. On. It's help. I, obviously, they both begin with H, and they both came out at the same time. And, and both, yeah. before we even get into the emotional impact of it, both could easily and have been chosen by multiple people as the greatest really? ever intros. Ah, uh, interesting. Because yeah, yeah. Whenever I, I reference the two reference points, are generally money for nothing and mm -hmm. hard days night. Because one is just uh, really that iconic cold bang straight in whereas the other yeah. one is that's his fast sort of intro right. they're the two sort of parallels so it's amazing that you've that's chosen funny. both <laughs> like, uh, uh, it also makes me feel entirely uh boring and not unique no at not at all no i think two, i think about two people i've done 500 of these so i think two right. people have chose money for nothing but um but, but no anyone has anyone ever chosen the wrong fucking song and then r realized halfway through <laughs> their... Uh... <laughs> no, you're all right. You own that nonsense. one, mate. You own that one. <laughs> all right, good. So tell me well, about Help. So, yeah, so it was Help. Yeah, that was the CD that I had and it was Help. And I think it was just, it was a particular time. I must have been 12 or 13. And it was that, it was that time of, you know, 
puberty dawning on the horizon and all of this and, yeah. and that feeling of of loss and and yeah i mean help i need somebody you know it the feeling of confusion and the feeling of um being at loss and not understanding this world that was kind of coming towards me you know the loss of childhood the growing into into a man and all of this and the help just struck me in in a really deep way because of that um and i connected with it yeah and it and it, and it was the first song that i ever felt like everything before that had always been fun it had always been great i'd always enjoyed but it was the first time i went oh this has got this is for me you know that yeah. that that thing that people have this this song this has to have been written for me kind of thing it's so perfect um what was the emotion yeah. I suppose, I suppose maybe it was the first time I'd heard someone or I'd connected with someone in a song pleading in that way, kind of saying, help, you know, it's such a vulnerable thing um, to say as a songwriter. And just, I didn't even think about it on those terms then. I just thought of someone to say, of saying help. Um, and of course, the melody and and the bit of sweetness of the melody in that song, and the chords and the sadness of it all, but also the upbeat, I think, yeah, was something as well that kind of clicked with me, which is probably played out in my songwriting a lot. Is the kind of that um, juxtaposition of of sweet and and sour, the kind of you know the sadness, the bit of sweet energy of it, um, and yeah. It, it having this kind of up tempo energy and and but being pleading i don't know it was the emotion of just of just i guess confusion yeah. you know like teen like burgeoning teen teenage confusion and loss yeah i suppose it's a it's a beautiful song it I, really is i want to touch on what, what what you said when you know up until then you know songs were just kind of like you know, sort of little sweet sort of ditties that were, were, were just there yeah. in existence. And, and I find that really interesting that, you know, the first song that really impacted you is when you actually realised, oh, there's levels to this. There's, uh -huh. there's there, oh, there's, there's depth in music as well. There's, you know, it uh -huh. can, it can, you know, get you, you know, mm -hmm. in the heart. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's fascinating that, that, you know, that there are moments where all of a sudden, you know, music resonates in a completely different way. I think that's that's, uh, that's a, a truly wonderful, wonderful. Maybe it's the first, the first time kind of realizing that um, there are other people writing music for yeah. emotions. You know, in in a way, that's like kind of a more adult, abstract recognizing of other. You know, that and that other people would write songs to try and deal with those things because. Before that, like I say, music had always just been, you know, for fun, for for background, and it, yeah, yeah, I, perhaps probably those two roads crossed at the same time. That kind of um, awareness of other in a in a I don't know puberty way, if you want to put it that way, and also an awareness of other, and, and I suppose that's what you know in songwriting. I suppose that's what happens throughout that time of your life is. Um, yeah, it's just that dawning of that reality, I suppose. Where, yeah. Where was growing up? Uh, Newcastle. So I grew up in in the outskirts of Newcastle in a kind of like um, 
more countryside area, more into Northumberland than Newcastle, but only just, so I wasn't that far away. Was was home a musical place? Yeah, very much so. So my dad um, loved to write songs as well, and he um, and my brother Steve and my eldest brother played guitar and sang and things like that. And my dad, we had like a little, my dad had a kind of very basic little sort of home studio, but he'd always written songs from when he was probably, you know, the same age I did, 13 or something like that. Um, But he'd never been able to do anything with his songwriting. He was very, very talented. My dad, but he, he he never particularly wanted to perform in front of anyone. He was more of a kind of backroom guy. He was more yeah. of like a, a Carol King, you know, a sort of songwriter for yeah. other people. That's how he envisioned himself. But he also had um he also had a, a family business we which we so there was my mom and dad sold out of the family about a year ago, but that was hundred and twenty years old. It had gone back to my great 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 granddad had started it in Newcastle. And um He'd worked there since he was 13, 14, um, until he retired. And so despite loving music and and introducing me to all of my favorite artists now, everyone that I consider my truest, uh, deepest loves in music, he, he never he never did anything with his musicality, but the, the, the house had piano, it had guitars, basses and things like that. So it was never... It was never that far from me, but I mean, he never actually really encouraged me to get into music. Actually, it was really just off my own back. And despite my education into the Beatles and Supertramp and Floyd and everything that he gave me, it was actually um, my love of um, computer games and films that got me into music, actually, where I wanted to. That Again, I remember being in year four and, the, and one of the first pieces of music connecting with me because I was a massive James Bond fan was this little band came into the the first school and played a few songs but they played the James Bond theme and I I remember going oh man that's the coolest thing I've ever seen you know like (laughs) and I immediately went home sought out the keyboard and figured out how to play it on the keyboard and that was the beginning of my kind of musical journey was learning how to play the James Bond theme on the keyboard and from there I went oh can I get piano lessons which I had a few of and and, and then it just became self-taught you know after that but I it, I was very lucky to have a, my whole musical career like life has been with computers so there was a computer there that had a very basic um recorder on it called sonar and um it meant I could lay down ideas and start layering and developing bits of music and songs and ideas and things like that from yeah from the age of about 13 i suppose 14 um yeah you touched on school then um so it's fitting that we we ask you now to tell me the the song that reminds you of your time at school please oh yeah that's a neat little segue that wasn't it all right wasn't it yeah, yeah, I feel I feel good. like you've pulled it back now. You've pulled it back from your Beatles howler. You're all right. <laughs> You're back on board now. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. <laughs> um, so, again, this one came to me straight away. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's all by Genesis. And the reason being, because... Every morning on the way to school, my dad would either put Radio 2 on or he would play me a classic song. And it was normally a Beatles song. Um, but the one that stood out to me when I thought about this was, because I didn't, you know, I could talk about Beatles till the cows come home, but I thought something else was I remember hearing That's All by uh, Genesis on Radio 2. I think it was Terry Wogan in the morning. He used to have the morning show. And um, again, it just struck me. It was just the coolest being like a burgeoning little keyboard player. That riff, the dig it a ding, diddle ding, 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 diddle ding, diddle ding, ding, ding. I just thought it was the coolest little riff I'd heard on the keys. And, and maybe because I thought, oh, I could do that or I could play that. Or And then I think, again, it's got another thing in where the kind of the snare has this, it, you, you get the delayed satisfaction of the snare coming in and then it, you just get this and I just love that. I've always, that's always been something that sort of um, gets me, you know? Um, yeah. It's just a cool song. It's just a cool song and it immediately right. captured my imagination. Yeah. Are you a big Genesis really fan? Cool. To be honest, not particularly, not really. Um, I know there are, I've tried to listen to a couple of Genesis albums and I know they're well thought of, especially more of their earlier proggier stuff, but it hasn't really struck me. Yeah. Uh, maybe more into, I don't, I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I feel like Phil Collins, like took over and started writing tunes like that's all. And another, another Genesis song, which I love, which always got played in the car on like holidays and things was, um, I can't dance as well, mm. which is just the coolest it's just so unique that melody and like i can dance and i you know for a yeah. child as well to sing along to that it just feels so daft and fun it's and great. it's very sort of plinky plunky percussion isn't it it's like it's, yeah. it, it's almost it sounds like sort of bottles being played doesn't it it's uh yeah 
yeah it is really cool which is the side of the 80s that i really like Mm. there was a lot of cool kind of experimental sound um in production and in in percussion and things like that i think they had there's a cool sonic yeah world absolutely there's um there's a wonderful if you ever get a chance to listen to it um it's all the sort of the studio sessions of um Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson recording off the wall. Oh yeah. And uh and on Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, all the little kind of percussive bits, all the little uh-huh. which is bottles, uh right. little ding 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 like that's a very, very young Janet Jackson and you can hear Michael going up play like that, play like that. And like oh, and really? he's just got this mad little sort of session of Janet Jackson playing these bottles being sort of conducted and uh, by by Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones, it's it's, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a fantastic listen. That hearing like Quincy Jones go to work putting something like that together is uh, if uh, yeah. if you like a little nerdy production wig at, then that's a good oh, one. Oh, that I do, <laughs> that I do. Yeah, I mean it, it's all of those little little bits that I think modern pop songwriting because it's all done in the box now and it's all done in like by. 18 people is like it takes like one or two people working together in a small way to be like you know what we're gonna go the extra distance it might take us four hours but we're gonna record the sound of like bottles you know us hitting spoons against bottles or something for this almost insignificant little part of this background of this song but it's worth it because it might be great it might be shit probably 90 percent 90 percent of the time we go Oh, no, that was that didn't work at all. But it might be good, and I think it's the time and the space is is leaving a lot of kind of creativity out of things nowadays. And I, we actually borrowed a trick um, from Judas Priest on our new record. Um, it was Tom who I produced it with. Tom Dalgetty um, had he was like because there's one of the songs "Tear It Down" has this really mechanical kind of almost robotic. Um, <laughs> sort of feel to it and he was like you you know what we should do we should do the judas priest thing and in one of their um songs i forget which one it is but you they basically what they did is they got a tray full of cutlery from the canteen in the studio and and just hit it down on the ground and it has this great kind of like snare rattly kind of sound as as the cutlery settles and it's got this cool, like it's metallic. It's kind of stompy. It sounds, it sounds like three thousand robots kind of stomping all at once, you know. Fantastic. And it's this brilliant sound, and so we nicked that. Basically, we did the same thing. We got the cutlery drawer from the studio and just started hitting it. Love it. Um, and you can hear it quite clearly on our record, and you can hear it on the Judas Priest one. So it's a little, little percussive nod to the priest there. Fantastic. Tell me the first record. You remember buying, please? So, I don't know if this counts, but it's the first one that I ever remember actually going into a shop to buy. It wasn't the first one that I ever got bought, because I remember that was um, the Cotton Eye Joe. Yeah. <laughs> when I was about six or something, I think I Shout wanted Cotton Eye Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Cotton Eye Joe for Christmas, which I was one of the, the five-year-olds that made that song like absolutely enormous. Um, 
But the first song, actually, the first album was Lullabies to Paralyze by Queens of Stone Age. And I remember going into Tesco. I didn't know it existed. And I saw it in Tesco and I thought, shit, I've got to buy this. Because I'd fallen in love with Songs for the Deaf, um, the album before that. And But again, that was a birthday present, Songs for the Deaf, because I sort of saw it on TV, instantly fell in love with No One Knows. And then I think spent six months trying to figure out who it was because I saw the video late one night it struck me like a ton of bricks that song and then could never find out who it was for months and months and months and months somehow came across it because this was before YouTube this was before Shazam sure. this was yeah. before any of this um, I probably saw it at a friend's house because we didn't have MTV or anything like that you know so it was like couldn't figure out what it was somehow came across it and, and wanted it. So I got it for my birthday um, and then immediately fell in love with that record. And then Lullabies, I didn't even know was existed again before the internet, really. I wasn't like savvy to anything. Um, and then saw it in Tesco's and bought it and loved it as well. Um, yeah, it's got, it's, it's a very cool record. It's a really cool record. Yeah. I mean, I'm just a massive fan of Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah. I just think they've just so consistently delivered cool, cool, cool rock and roll. You yeah. know, just, you just, no one's done it cooler. You know what I mean? <laughs> and there's not, there's not many people doing what they do, you know? No. And, and, and certainly back then, like, you know, in the, you know, when you, when you go sort of back, back with, with Queens of the Stone Age, at a time when I guess, you know, commercial rock and roll music was, probably new metal uh, uh -huh. and, and 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 maybe the you know the, the stadium rock of the foos and things like that there yeah. was something a bit darker about about the queens of stone edge i think and yeah and i remember first seeing them and seeing you know when they had um uh nicola vera wasn't it um yeah like, the bassist yeah on, on bass and just thinking what the fuck is this band about? Like, yeah. um, because it didn't even for me, like have like huge choruses or it was no. just like pretty, pretty sort of, it was just for me, I could hear the carryover from your sort of Caiuses and, you know, uh -huh. that whole sort of stoner rock thing. And, and it was just quite strange to sort of see this, this sort of stoner band really become, one of the biggest bands in the world. And when you say about no one uh -huh. knows, you know, seeing that video and going, it's fucking Dave Grohl playing drums. Like, yeah, was, right. You know, yeah. it was, uh, and, 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 you know, we've seen him to go on and, 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 you know, continue to be one of the most critically acclaimed and, and, and loved rock and roll bands, you know, in, in, in the world. And, uh, mm -hmm. and even like side projects like Eagles of Death Metal, like just yeah. fantastic. Like, just, yeah, just, Perfect, really. Perfect little distillations of what they're going for. I think that's the coolest thing is it feels like such a such a cohesive atmosphere when you listen to their records. It's always Queens, but it's always got its atmosphere and it's always feels like you're diving into a world. And I think that really struck me when I first listened to Songs for the Deaf. And almost they turned that up to 11, I think, with Lullabies because it was even darker, even weirder, had this kind of yeah, this lullaby, bittersweet kind of quality again, this kind of fairground-esque. And it's not really one of my favourite records by them. I wouldn't really put it, it's probably not even in the top three. Um, 
but it does have a very very cool atmosphere i mean i think it's it's a funny one like you say like because i was i was about 11 or 12 or 13 when it came out um that would be to be honest my greatest intro of other time of all time rival would be um the first track on songs for the deaf which is millionaire for never failing to ra- to like rouse me and again it's the drum fill it's the yeah. shoo, doo, 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 doo. um but i was into like new metal as well yeah. a little bit like i liked uh, silver side up i got silver side up you know but also at the same time there was like the strokes and there was kings of leon you did have like these kind of varying facets of of broad quite broad rock and roll you know i think it was a very cool time for that it's so weird right going back to something you said earlier as soon as you rattled off like and you mentioned you know new metal and then strokes and things i'm just thinking of snare drums and like yeah right right and instantly i think of deftones and i think of that snare which is the most crisp sounding ear piercing <laughs> snare ever. Yeah. And then you think of something like the, the strokes and uh, which is, you know, such a sort of lazy sounding, you know, record. Yeah. And, <laughs> and yeah, a- 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 yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, completely sort of different ends of it. And uh, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a cool thing to, it's a cool thing to come become conscious of because you wouldn't necessarily ever think about it. And for anyone who listens to this, I might've just spoiled music because <laughs> you may just be listening to snares now, but it kind of, I can't listen to a lot of like metal music and like a lot of um, Metallica and stuff because the snare is just hilarious in those songs. Mm. Like we have a joke about it in the band. It's like this kind of like, ding, bong, yeah. Bong. You know, and you just go like, how? And I get it from a from a production point of view because the the guitars are so beefy and low that, yeah. like, yeah, the snare you need it to be sound like, you know, again like a glass bottle or something. But it doesn't. It doesn't. I'm a big big drums guy, you know, and yeah. I love the sound of drums. And yeah, when the snare sounds like that, I'm like, oh, it's just got no backbeat. It's got no punch or soul you know do, do you think that's because so many of them new record new metal records were all produced by ross ross robinson i believe it was and like and i think he could produced be. literally all of your corns and like all, all of those bands i'm not sure if he done deftones i'm not sure but um Maybe. i know that he even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Done the sort of lion's share of all of the sort of big things, so maybe that was his sort of signature sound. I don't know, but I think uh, for a while that you know it's always funny. Like there's always insular ideas on cool, and and when people get into scenes and they get into things, you know they were probably referencing some early eighties or late seventies metal. You know, it there's always a lineage to stuff, and you could mm-hmm. probably start at it like Judas Priest. And it goes through and through in the insular kind of world of self-referencing. It probably sounded really cool to them. 
Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the funny thing. So they're like, shit, let's put this, let's use this snare on everything. Yeah. Um, and then you come in as an outsider and go, wait, what the fuck is that? Where, how, <laughs> how have you gotten to that place? You know, how does it, you know, but I, maybe, maybe I need to spend a bit more time in that world. And I'll be like, you know what, actually speak to me in like 10 years or something. All and right. I'll be like, all, right. all the all the demob records will just have these tiny yeah. little snares. You'll on. have a red cap on backwards and uh, go oh god, full new metal. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> all right, tell me about clubbing, and that can be dive bars, that can be your local rock club, that can be your indie bar. Tell me about the song that soundtrack your years going clubbing. Well, when I think of that, I think of a club in Newcastle called. Um, it was called The Other Rooms. It's called Think Tank now. It's been called Think Tank for probably like 15 years. But when we were there, it was The Other Rooms. And it, um, it was above digital. And it had, there wasn't really much of a rock and roll scene in Newcastle, um, which is one of the reasons why we kind of left originally, because we were like a, a bluesy rock band when we first started. And we'd just be put on bills with like metal bands and singer-songwriters and things. We're like, this isn't working. Um, but there was like a little contingent of 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 rock in 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 Newcastle, and it was a bar called Dog and Parrot, which is still there. And then you walked over the road and you went to the other rooms, and there was a club night called um, I think it was called Jukebox, and it was on a Friday, and it was what we did, you know, <clears throat> me and the lads and our other group of friends, we'd go have the very cheap drinks at Dog and Parrot. And then we'd walk over the road at about 12 to Jukebox and we'd just dance to all of the greatest rock and indie tunes of all time, you know. And because it came out at the similar sort of time, Juicebox by The Strokes was like, it was the pinnacle, it felt like, of that moment, you know. Because it's such a cool tune. It's quite an odd one for The Strokes. It's not, I feel like it's probably not often what anyone would ever choose of that it's not one of their iconic songs but for us it kind of it had it was the it was just cool it was cool and it felt like you could we could dance to it and we used to mosh to it and just go mad to it and we also covered it it was one of the first songs Mob ever learned to play as a band was a cover of of that song um it fucking yeah. thunders along doesn't it it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. And it's not like the strokes, but it's so good. It's um it's such a cool riff. Yeah. It's like a it's a brilliant and riff. As soon as you get the wow, won't you come up? It just rock yeah. it's a proper rock and roll banger. And I think Yeah. Oh you know, the the first record, which is a absolute fucking masterpiece, you know, is very much of its kind of nod to television and the you know, the bands of CBGBs and, and it's it yeah. screams New York, you know. And uh, yeah. yeah. And I think the second record was you know, very not not too dissimilar from from the first. And I think Juicebox was the lead single from the third record, I believe. Yeah, I think it was one of the first ones. Yeah. And I was like, this sounds more like Muse than than what we've got before. It yeah. was just a huge rock and roll, but a fucking great choice for a lead single. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know how it still goes down with their fans. I'd, I'd like I've seen them once, and I don't remember if they played it. You know, I don't know if it's one of their more enduring hits. But like, I think it's brilliant. And it what it did it did feel like, oh, here's the Strokes meets Muse, or here's the Strokes yeah. does a bit of Kings of Leon or yeah. a bit of Queens. Like, it felt like their sort of little nod to the wider world of rock. Yeah. Um, because and maybe and and I think that's a really cool thing because. They're so they had such a definable sound, 
Yeah. And they were so in their own world of coolness. Um, but yeah, he's just a brilliant um, uh, melody writer, top line yeah. guy, Julian Casablancas that like the, yeah, the, wow, why don't you come over here? Yeah. It's just, it's just thrills you, you yeah. know? And it's like a bunch of 17, 18 year old lads pissed on Jack Daniels in, in like a dark little sweaty rock and roll club. It was just the What best. more do you need? What more, what do, you more do you need? Literally, <laughs> it was the greatest time of my life. You know, it was the best. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, I'm going to take yeah. you home now, and uh, which is yeah. fitting as well. So um, tell me a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please, Matthew. Yeah, again, there is no one else I would ever think of or consider answering that question other than Alan Hull of Linda Swan. Because he is my absolute hero. He's one of the greatest songwriters of all time and he doesn't get close to enough love um he's the geordie john lennon you know he's had he had he had his heart in the right place he kind of had these brilliant melodies beautiful songs beautiful lyrics um and but with this incredible anti-establishment um fuck the man voice you know and i think like he distilled so much in his music that I admire like it was northern and it was Geordie and it was a little bit silly and a bit daft and a bit tongue-in-cheek but it was heartfelt and warm and and all of the the dense rich harmony of it all um I just love him I adore him I think he's amazing um and he he had a um a solo album away from Lindisfarne called uh, um Squire I believe it was. And the first track is one called Breakfast. And um, I remember discovering it because I'd always loved Lindisfarne through my dad and my mom and things like that. Um, but then discovering this song by myself, um, I just instantly thought it was the, one of the greatest, coolest things I'd ever heard. Um, and I played it to the lads, Adam and um, uh, Tom from, from the band. And we all immediately fell in love with it. We all thought it was the coolest thing, you know. Um, from the sort of soft intro, the kind of na, 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 this lovely kind of chords, the way they move. It's yeah, it's this beautiful story that he tells, and it's 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 a. But it, again, it is daft. It's tongue in cheek, like the chorus is him talking about the breakfast that he shared with this this woman that he had a I think a one night stand with or something, and. Um, you know, and then sausages, eggs, and beans. You know, it's it's just great. It's like, it's silly, and and the, and then the riff kicking in in the chorus just hits you like a ton of bricks. And there's so much I love about the production. I love the sound of the guitars. I love that kind of like high crisp snare. It, it's like everything that we were talking about before of snares, in like but done properly. You know, it's that yeah. 70s like saturated kind of snare sound. Where they just amped it up, you know, it's just great. I just love it. I could, yeah. How inspiring it. was it? You know, when you know you, you, you said that you had that and 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 Linda's fine on that, and to yeah. hearing someone singing in a regional in your regional accent. Mm -hmm. I mean, to be honest, that has never really been a thing for me, um, because I suppose I grew up listening to bands that really weren't i never thought about accent you know i never really thought about oh they're liverpudlians or the beatles you know or 
oh, that's he's American, the Queens. I mean, I kind of it it the, the thing that inspires me more about Lindisfarne and Alan Hurdle's songwriting is the the kind of devotion to the 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 not archaic but the kind of well, I mean, I suppose a bit archaic now, but the old school, the old time Newcastle music, the yeah. kind of rural sounds of Northumberland and playing the you know the fiddle and that sort of thing in these little bands and these kind of country bumpkin kind of Northumberland bands. Um, it's just, it's just endearing, you know, but it wasn't, no, it wasn't there anything. I mean, maybe now a little bit. Yeah. I was listening to a, um, an artist called Nadine Shah mm -hmm. the other day and she's, she's a Geordie and she sings in the most beautiful, low, sultry kind of way. Um, but with a Geordie accent. And I yeah. thought like, Oh shit, man, I need to, I need to be a bit more Geordie, you know, <laughs> I need to have a little bit more of that in there because yeah. when I sing, I don't particularly, I, I think there's elements of Geordie, but there's not that much. And I've, I always had a bit of a sort of soft Geordie accent anyway. Yeah. People mostly think I'm Irish. Yeah. 90% of the time anyway. Um, and then living down in Brighton for 12 years has sort of softened what was there. Yeah. So there's not much of it in there, but there is bits. Yeah. But I would never like put it on because that would be even worse, yeah. you know, but. Um, I'm always fascinated by it. Like, um, you, you know, we, we spoke about the sort of, you know, the, 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 the bombastic nature of so much music from the mid to late 80s. And, you, you know, I always cast my eyes to Scotland at that point and look at the, you know, the biggest bands were in the UK at that point were Wet Wet Wet, Deacon Blue, Hue and Cry, and they were these huge, huge Aztec camera Scottish bands. Right. None of them sang in a Scottish accent. Oh, and, really? Right. I'm not really familiar with any of those, by the way. I couldn't tell I'm, you I'm sure them. I'm sure you'd know lots <laughs> of their songs if you heard them. And right. uh, but then at the same time you had the proclaimers which yeah, you can't get any more Scottish than, yeah, yeah, than, than them. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's very weird. My, you know, one of my favourite artists, he's, he's you know, in, in my top three artists of all time, he's Billy Bragg. And uh -huh. so much of that is because he sings in an accent that is where I'm from. And, you know, uh -huh. there's, there's not many things in Essex to be proud of. And, uh, <laughs> right, but, right. but Billy Bragg, we're, 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 we'll have him. Like that's that's yeah, important, yeah, yeah. and uh, and it sounds like you know he he he's from from uh, where I'm from, and, and and I find that really really endearing and uh, yeah. and, and and interesting because you know we've got Depeche Mode and and Dave Garn don't sound like you know he's going to be on an episode of The Only Way Is Essex anytime. So, <laughs> right, right, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's just a thing as that as like a singer, you mimic the accents and the things that you love, and I think particularly for my music. Like it actually comes down to a kind of very basic thing. It's vowel sounds, you know, yeah. a lot of vowel sounds in, in Geordie, there's a lot of round vowel sounds. And I think for rock and roll, you need the harder sure. vowel sounds, the kind of E's and A's, yeah. you know, and the, That's so true. Those, you know, and you need that kind of like, yeah, you know, you need the kind of like, ah, the angular sound, <laughs> yeah. you know, it needs to sound like back of the throat and Geordie's all like soft and yeah. lilting and, and it's a beautiful accent, but it doesn't lend itself necessarily to that. Um, but I think like, you know, the Scouser accent did more. And I, yeah. there's a John Lend thing where he talks about that exact thing. He's like, cause he used to write lyrics 
in the way that I do as well, where it's like phonetics first, you know, and then kind of evolve a lyric out of what phonetically suits the melody. Um, and yeah, it's more difficult, I think, in some yeah, accents than others. Absolutely. It just simply is for for our context of what we know of, you know, the world of music, of rock and roll. Like I say, it would be like using a dustbin lid as a snare. It just wouldn't be like, that's not what we know. That's not, you know, um, but not that it can't be done. And I do find myself more and more wanting to have more of a kind of Geordie personality in, in my singing. But I just admire people like Nadine and people like Alan Hull for doing it, yeah. doing it well, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Last track. You've just shouted out Nadine Shah, who uh, is an incredible artist. But um, yeah, this is your opportunity to um, turn someone onto something new as well. And uh, and it's a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to yes. hear. Well, for me, uh, this is One Night in Paris, Une Nuit à Paris by 10CC is like the... It is the forerunner and baby brother, would you say, to like Bohemian Rhapsody. And it actually came out, this is like my little sort of, I love Bohemian Rhapsody, but I think a lot of people don't realize that I, I feel at least, this is my theory anyway, I think Freddie heard this and was like, I want to do that. Yeah. Because it came out before... Um, this song came out before Bohemian Rhapsody and it's like, it's almost, you know, it's the same sort of cinematic journey, but it's the most incredible song. Again, like I remember hearing it, my dad playing it to me when I was so young that I can't even remember, but I memorized all the lyrics. He used to tell me that like, I used to sing this song like back to front and it's like eight minutes long or 10 minutes long. Yeah. And it goes through this whole journey of like, the environment in in paris and living there and, it, and it's so i know that the songwriters um in that band were big fans of musicals and big fans of yeah. cinema in that world um and so obviously wanted to create something that felt cinematic felt very you know it felt like an atmosphere um and i've read interviews with them now going uh we wish we hadn't put the the phony kind of french accents in we wish we just sang it in english and but as like a young lad, I didn't give a toss about any of that. Yeah. I just thought it was the most magical piece of cinema, piece of music, you know, that, that I'd ever heard. And it just, from the drama of it, from from the little twinkling, you know, bells of uh, um, like bicycle bells and things like that, to the, the drama of those huge piano, dum, like, stabs and and it it's just got all of the drama it's got this amazing sense of yeah it's an it's an incredible piece of music and i i don't think for one people don't really know 10cc that well other than the hits mm. um but they are absolutely my top three favorite bands of all time and this is a deeper cut you know from theirs and anyone who knows 10cc i'm sure will know it but most people don't really know them so and you you, you constantly said the word cinematic when referencing yeah. it and and yeah. that's clearly the the visual aesthetic to, to how their minds worked would would obviously then lead godly and cream into making music, yeah. you know iconic music videos even for Absolutely. godly and cream's 
uh, track Cry. I mean, I remember seeing the video for that the mm. first time, which Michael Jackson then absolutely ripped off for, for yeah, black and white, really did. you know, and uh, yeah. yeah, and and I think you know, it was, it was Kevin Godley went on to produce some of the most iconic videos, I think, of the the eighties and nineties. Um, yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, th they're cool those two because like they they didn't. Again, they're a little bit like Bowie in that he just considered himself an artist and then whatever medium that was in, you know, be it like painting or, or music, and you think, you fuck off, you bastard. Yeah. Like, what, you just, you could have been anything. Like You can't be the good great... at two things. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest songwriters of all time, and you were just like winging it, you know? It's just like, and it's the same with Godly and Cream. Like, they, they always wanted to be visual artists. Yeah. But... They didn't know a way in, so they did music and then became two of my greatest songwriters of all time, you know, and I just think like, oh, you bastards. But like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a wonderful song. I can still, I don't know the lyrics to many songs yeah, because uh, I'm lazy and I mostly don't even know my own lyrics, but I can sing that song from top to bottom without missing a single word, love be it in French or anything. I, I just love it. Wonderful. We'll make it easy for people to go and um, check that out because we put together a little Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast, Matthew, of all your tracks and, and obviously your music on there as well. So so what's okay. happening with your music? What can people expect? Where, where are we at this year? Well, it's Monday and our new record's coming out on Friday. So it's going to be 26th of May it's coming out. So it's all gearing up. You know, it's really exciting. We've got our new record, Divine Machines. Um I don't know when this is going to go out, but this will either be after the event or before. But yeah, yeah it's um, it's really, really exciting. It's a record that we've worked extremely hard on. Um, it was throughout lockdown. It was it's not a lockdown record the way that a lot of those sure. have kind of been but framed. But it was what I worked on through that. And obviously it has, you know, we couldn't avoid in the songwriting at the time like echoes of, of what was going on, but it doesn't feel like a kind of dour sure. sad well, I'm not talking about being inside, you know what I mean? Um and it's just been it's it's been a long time coming because we needed to get a few things right on the back end of what we were doing because we believed in the record so much we knew it was worth waiting to release it and here we are. Uh and I'm we we love it. We're so proud of it. I, I think people are gonna for anyone who knows our music, I think it's gonna be a surprise but it's also gonna be familiar you know i think we're we're doing new things but it's inherently us so i'm very excited and for those that may not be familiar with your music and uh and want to go and explore it now where's the yeah. best place to to keep up to speed with everything that um the band's up to well instagram really is where i update more most than anywhere else um facebook who cares about Facebook, TikTok? I have to because the labels say, but I'm not that asked. So Instagram, <laughs> Instagram is the way to to connect with us, um, and then on Spotify, you know, wherever you stream your music. Well, if it's cool with you, um, we'll tag you in it on uh, on on Instagram and Facebook. Probably not Please TikTok do. because I'm too old to know what that is. And, no, uh, thank God. Yeah, but, um, but we'll tag you on it if that's all right with you. And um, yeah, and people can go and uh, and, and give you a, a look and a follow if they haven't done so already um matthew it's been an absolute delight talking records thank you very mate. much it's, it's it's been really really lovely thank you mate no it's been great thank you i would i could talk about any of these songs for probably another five hours so 
<laughs> so I, hopefully we've got it concise enough there. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to press stop. Don't go anywhere. Ah, oh, what a wonderful natter. What a top gent. Um, really enjoyed that. Um, it's always nice when you have them conversations where you press stop at the end of the interview and you just carry on having a chat. And uh, and that was very much the case uh, with Matthew. Um, go check out D-Mob Happy's new record. Um, go check him out live. Um, go give him a follow over on the socials. And if you're not following off the beaten track on the socials, what are you waiting for? God's sake, get over there. Give us a follow. Um, we're on Twitter as well and Facebook. So give us a little like, love, share, retweet. You know what the drill is. And um, and why not head over to uh, the website and uh, and check out the Patreon uh, where you can get access to loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of stuff. And, uh, and yeah, you can watch this episode if uh, you'd like to see his handsome face and my not-so-handsome face. And, uh, and yeah, you can get... Uh, access to everything um, over on the website. So head over to www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I'll be back next time. In the meantime, be nice to each other. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.